You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 41. Today, our guest is Steve Clavey. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fiona Gitchum. And today we're talking to Steve Clavey. Hi Steve. Hi Fee. Hi Claire. Welcome to the podcast. Steve has been practicing in 1986 in Melbourne and prior to that he studied classical Chinese language and Chinese medicine in Taiwan for five years and clinical Chinese medicine in mainland China for two years. Steve is the co-founder and editor of The Lantern, a predominantly Chinese herbal medicine journal since 2004 and his fluid physiology book which has been out of print for the past few years will be re-released by Eastland Press by early 2018. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add the Heavenly Chi podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode and if you're really enjoying our show, please rate us on iTunes. Well, hello, girls. I'm I'm sitting here drinking a um, beautiful hand-rolled Chinese oolong from Taiwan. <laughs> that sounds very tasty. It is. It's delicious. <laughs> it was very exciting when you said that you were able to come on the show because, of course, being a local Melbourneian and, um, you know, being a well-known practitioner with a published book and a good reputation for, for treating gynecology and women's health, it's a very, very big interest of mine, and I'm sure of fees as well. So we're very glad to have you with us today. Thank yes, you welcome. for asking. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to be here. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a bit about the way that you practice and how you came to be practicing in that way? Well, I've been practicing for a while, and it, it was, it's almost unbelievable to remember that back when I first started, there were only three books on Chinese medicine. Wow. And it was basically acupuncture. There was Felix Mann, who's a, a GP in the UK. He wrote a book on acupuncture, which was not too bad. There was a English translation of a French translation of a book from a guy in Taiwan called Wu Weiping. And then there was uh, Ilza Vase, uh, translation of the Neijing, which is still useful if you keep birds at home. Um, and that was it. That was really all there was. And the, the weird thing was, as I'm reading these books, I'm thinking, God, you know, either the Chinese are completely nuts or the, these translations are not really spot on. So I didn't have any choice. I thought, if I want to know this, I'm going to have to learn Chinese and find out for myself. So I went to Taiwan to do exactly that. And um, in the beginning, I thought it would just be learn some, learn how to talk a bit and then get with a teacher and he, he'd show me and everything. But, but my language teacher in Taiwan said, no, no, you can't do just that. You want to do Chinese medicine. You have to learn classical 
Chinese language. And classical Chinese language is different to everyday spoken language. It's, um, uh, it isn't exactly like the Shakespeare of it. It's in fact a bit, bit older than that. And it's, it uses a different type of grammar and, and, uh, but that's what all the classics are written in. And not only the classics, right up until this century, most of the texts in Chinese medicine have, have used classical uh, Chinese grammar to, uh, to be written in. So uh, I found that very interesting. We started off with Lao Tzu, you know, the Tao Te Ching. And I said, oh, that's very, that's, that's, aren't we jumping in the deep end? She said, no, no, it's easy. And it was, the words are really easy and give you a good introduction to classical Chinese. It's the concepts that are really difficult. Then we went on to Zhuangzi and we went on to poetry and we took a look and she was very interested in the I Ching. So we did a lot of I Ching work then. And that laid a very good foundation for later uh, studies in Chinese medicine. And so then you, um, you studied in mainland China and then decided to come to Melbourne. Had you been living here prior to that or when did you move here? Well, I met uh, my wife in Taiwan. She's an Australian Chinese. She was there to learn learn Chinese language. And we, after Taiwan, we went back to the States at, for a year. And then she said, well, why don't you see what Melbourne's like? So we came, came down here and having no money, I had to start doing something. So I started practicing. And I, one of the reasons I chose Chinese medicine, there are two main reasons. One was that uh, and I'm surprised that I knew this as a as a kid. I thought here is something that doesn't change a lot. So when I learn it, I'm not going to have to keep relearning it. Little did I know how deep the rabbit hole actually went. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, learning is interesting. And the other thing I thought was, okay, so you learn this. The more you learn, the older you get, the more valuable you are. And how many professions can say that? Yeah, not many. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I thought this is this is a really good thing. And I was lucky when I got here in Australia to find out that there is quite a different concept in the Australian mindset. And Fee, you might be finding this already. There is an already inbuilt idea that Chinese medicine is effective, it's safe and it's relatively inexpensive. And that goes back about 130 years already to the to the gold rush yeah. that we had here where the Chinese doctors came and they would, you know, the Langzhong, the Langzhong are the, the people who would go out into the country and they'd carry the herbs on their back and they would treat, they would treat the people um, out in the countryside. Whereas the Western doctors used to congregate in the cities where it was comfortable and profitable and and they wouldn't go up, but it's a lot of the Aussie battlers would would um, actually utilize Chinese medicine and get good results with it. In the States, that didn't seem to happen. And I and I asked Dan Bensky why he thought that was. And he said, I think it's just basic racism. It's the, that is more intense in uh, in America than it was here. Not that we didn't have our problems here. But if you look back at the newspapers of the late 1800s or the mid 1800s, there's this 
in in some cases almost in a, an affectionate tone toward the Chinese. They're called the Celestials. Oh, wow. <laughs> they say our celestial cousins are having a you know a celebration or something. So you know, yeah, we had riots and we had difficulties here in Australia, but but um, I don't think that what there was that acceptance in the states like there was here. You know, it's Have interesting. Have you found that feed? Oh, Have America. You? Well, in general, America can baffle me quite easily. So, but because I haven't got licensed yet within this country, I haven't had too much interaction yet with um, just the general public on that level. Mm -hmm. Well, I found it just when I when I talk to people over there, it's like there's no concept, or at least maybe on the coasts, uh, maybe on the coasts mm -hmm. or. Um, I'm in an area that's very friendly to alternative medicine. Indeed, I was going to say in that in that area there, Boulder is very yeah. uh, progressive. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting so, the comments that you made, Steve, about the um, you know the people in the in the areas of the gold rush. My um, my family is from Central Victoria, and you know I was talking with my grandparents um, a little while ago, and they mentioned that they're their parents, so my great-grandparents, um, used to see a Chinese herbalist in Bendigo. And this is back in, you know, this would have been in the early 1900s and they had, you know, certain health problems and, oh, yeah, that, you know, they took Chinese herbs and it fixed them. And so my grandparents were far more accepting, in fact, of me being a Chinese medicine practitioner than my parents were because they'd had that direct experience. Yeah, well, that good, talking about parents, that that illustrates my point. My father said, "Okay, so what are you doing in Taiwan? Don't worry. When you come back, we'll get you into the best chiropractic school in the states." <laughs> because for him, there was Western medicine, and then there was chiropractic, and there was nothing else, right? Yeah. So it's like unbelievable. But I had a similar experience when I first started. It was fascinating for me to. Um, a patient came in, she said, oh yeah, Chinese medicine is part of our family history. I said, oh, what, what do you mean? Because this is an Australian, not Chinese. She's not Chinese Australian. She was Australian, Australian, whatever that means. And she said, oh yeah, back, my great aunt was, uh, her life was saved by a Chinese doctor. I said, oh, tell me the story. And so she said, well, this aunt had a son and uh, he used to go out on hunting trips and he, that, that was in in the west and west of Victoria. And so he would go out and he'd be on a hunting trip for three months, but he was only 15, 16. And she said, uh, one of these hunting trips, he had gone away. And before he was due to come back, she got notification from the army that he'd been sent to Gallipoli where, where there was the big battle with the Australian soldiers and he was killed. And this woman started to bleed vaginally and she was, she was just bleeding continuously and the Western doctors couldn't stop it. It was the Chinese doctor who actually found out that there was this heart connection to the uterus, in other words, with her and was able to stop the bleeding. So they said, oh yeah, he's he. we have credited him with saving her life all these years, and we've always been open to Chinese medicine. Mm. 
That's a great story. That is a great mm. story. And now you do the same thing for your patients. Yes, well, I see a lot of gynecology, and a lot of them have to do with uh, bleeding. And I was interested to listen to your uh, your fibroid um, podcast, uh, which was which was good because I get a lot of women coming in, and they say they say, "Can you fix my fibroids?" And what they really mean is, "Can you fix my heavy bleeding?" And often. I mean, you know, in Chinese gynecology, as everybody's taught, there are three main causes for abnormal bleeding. One is excessive heat, and one is uh, uh, spleen chi deficiency, and the other is blood stagnation. And that's the way it's usually taught in China. But here in Australia, at least, and I suspect in most Western countries, it's clotting that's the main problem. Because in China, they'll deal with the clotting, right? Yeah. Here we don't. And for Western doctors, they're taught the clots during a period are perfectly normal hmm. and it's so not right they've never that's an assumption that they have never checked and it causes so much problem for women hmm. so yeah getting, that, that distinction hmm. that distinction between I mean, common and normal is really an important one to make oh for sure so it's really whether it's fertility or it's or it's um trying to stop heavy periods or bung lor or, or any of those, getting rid of clotting is a crucial, crucial thing. And uh, for example, when somebody, when a woman is getting a little bit older, and I'll say this, look, you know, when you're 20, your uterus was quite strong, it could push these clots out without any problem. But as you get a bit older, you get into your 40s or 50s or something, it just doesn't have the power anymore to clear it, clear that clotting out. So what happens, and I'm sure you see this all the time in your own clinic, women come in and they have just started to get lots of heavy bleeding, lots of clotting. And uh, in, in that sort of situation, it's not just clearing the clotting, it's providing the energy to the uterus to be able to clear the clots themselves. Hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of cold in the uterus that leads to the clotting. You know, mm. that, that just that lack of, you know, the cold consuming the young energy and then there's nothing there to be able to keep that flow going in the pelvis. Yep, jaw, eye, tongue, really good, mm. that sort of thing. Oh, I've got a, I've got a nice tip for uh, asking about spleen chi deficiency, whether that is part, because, of course, you can have clotting and heat and spleen chi deficiency all happening at the same time. What I do is I just ask the patient whether they bruise easily. Mm. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, I don't know. What do you mean? Do I bruise? And the question is, well, can you find bruises on yourself and you don't know where they came from? If that's the case, they are probably they probably have weak, fragile blood vessels, which means they're going to bleed more easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you get those, um, you know, those complex patterns, it's Kind of like it's almost like a burger with a lot, you know. It's like I'll have you know one of everything. I've got blood stagnation. I've got spleen chi <laughs> deficiency. Might throw in a bit of yin deficiency as well. And it's just you know it's. Would you like damp with that? Because <laughs> I see a lot of damp in the pelvis as well. Yeah. Sounds like the Buxton burger. I don't know if you ever stopped off for the Buxton burger on your way through the the heading. Uh, up toward uh, the Goulburn River, but uh, I took Chip Chase there once. He liked it. 
the burger with it, I mean, he was going, how do you eat this? It's got everything on it from beetroot to, to you know, for Americans, it's like, whoa, it's too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't see much beetroot around here on burgers. Mm. I think it's a very strange I think you guys are doing a really good job with the with the podcast idea, but I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think that the habits are changing in regard to uh, media? I mean, like you mentioned in the introduction, I do a lot of writing for the for the lantern and books and things like that. But are they changing? Do you think people are not reading as much as they used to and and maybe we need to go to much more audio instead of instead of writing. I think definitely yes, and even um, that media is is informing new ideas for business structure of what we can do with Chinese medicine. Oh yeah, like what? Uh, well, I've been able to work over the internet with patients from Australia that weren't ready for me to leave them. Mhm. Mm um, so that's one way. Yes, the uh, registration board is struggling with that idea a little bit, but I think, especially in a place as big as Australia, I think we'll have to develop some sort of protocols that allow this distance, this distance treating. I don't mm. see any reason why it can't work, especially with Skype. You can still see the tongue. Mm. You're losing out pulse totally, but yeah and in my circumstance because i'm connected with claire in her clinic a lot of my patients are receiving acupuncture from someone there so oh, i know someone is looking at the pulse and in con communication with me but yeah i was also thinking about m many media that you were talking about in terms of education and and um, professional development and staying in touch with new developments within our industry as well well, I think it's also important because we we one of the most important things for us as a profession, I believe, is we have to get that grassroots foundation as strong and as deep as we possibly can, because at the moment we're sort of low key. But I think when the pharmaceutical companies get us on the radar, we'll be in trouble. We just don't have that sort of. Uh, financial backing. I, I mean, it's amazing to remember that 100 years ago, there used to be hospitals for homeopaths. Mm. In other words, there are homeopathic hospitals here in Melbourne. Where are they now? Completely gone, right? Wow. So if we, if we think that we are in like Flint already here, can't be, can't be eliminated, we're fooling ourselves. So I think it's really, really crucial that we share as much as we can, tips and tricks, little things that we do well, helping your fellow practitioners get good results is the best way you can be successful because their patients will go away and say, wow, Chinese medicine works, this is fantastic. Instead of going, oh, I went to some guy, you know, and it didn't, didn't do anything and Chinese medicine's no good. So the more, the more that we can help each other get good results, the better it's gonna be for all of us. I it's totally not like agree. competition. I totally. It's agree. not like in Shanghai, you know, where they had, where every street had five Chinese medicine practitioners, and it was, you know, dog eat dog, and you have to keep your family secrets, and, you know, not, not share anything. We really have to share as much as we possibly can. So I've got a, I've got I agree. some, good, I've got some good tips and tricks. 
but I want to learn, I want to know what you, I want, can you share with me one of your best tricks? You're turning the tables on us. No, I'm not. It's fine. It's exciting. I'm, I'm going to go with it. Oh, I don't, what would I say would be my best tip or trick? I think my I know tips and is... tricks change with time. Oh, yes, they do. They, they mature, don't they? Mm. Well, mm. and you just kind of take your old tricks for granted. You just kind of feel like, True. oh, everyone knows that. Everyone knows <laughs> that. That's exactly And then you get right. students that come into your clinic, they're like, what are you doing? I'll tell you one of the most profound things for me. I've got three things that I can list, and I don't know which order I, I would place them. First tip was check the tongue during an acupuncture treatment. Uh-huh. And for me, Not I'm like, oh, is, is that even a thing? Because we were taught that it takes, you know, days for it to change. But I had a patient on the table yesterday. Ah, oh, it was so amazing. I should have shown her in the mirror. She opened, you know, opened her mouth, stuck out her tongue. She had this really thick white coating at the back of her tongue. Got her up on yep. the table, put some pins in, checked her pulse. Yep, all good. I said, show me your tongue again. And the coating, that thick coating had all but disappeared. And this is wow. in the space of like five minutes. And I thought, how awesome is Chinese medicine? I'm constantly reminded of that. That is awesome tip number one. If you don't already check your tongue, the patient's tongues during acupuncture treatments, you need to do that before you leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> and the tip, tip number two is um, to, when you've got someone, I mean, these are all acupuncture related, I guess, but having someone's, um, if they're lying face down to check the, the spine and make sure it's straight and to use the jar G points um, and you can actually straighten up someone's scoliosis and it can fix almost, you know, it can fix up a lot of, a lot of disharmonies that otherwise kind of don't respond to your herbs or acupuncture in the way you think <clears> they <throat> should. That's great. Yeah. Great tip. I'll share one. I'll share one uh, in the meantime. Okay. I, I learned I learned this from a colleague, Stella Pericleos, Stella. And she said um, her teacher in China for depression, constraint, E syndrome, however you want to uh, phrase it, he would always use three herbs. And I find myself using three herb combinations a lot. But this one, since she told me and I tried it out, it's been fabulous. And it's it is basically Meiguihua, Yujin, and Lianqiao. Meiguihua is the roses, right? Yeah. Rose blossoms. And uh, Yujin, curcuma, and then the Lianqiao, which is the forsythia. Uh, hmm. Yeah, and it's just like when I add that into, into it, they, all, they come back and they go, Oh, I love I love those roses. Gee, and I just you know I, I'm feeling a lot better. Except for the people who come back and say I hate those roses. They get stuck in the spout of the of the herb pot when I try to <laughs> pour them off. <laughs> that's when you can save it. This is this is the trifecta of easing so much suffering. <laughs> that's a really great. I was just thinking it was a great combination of herbs yeah, and really good, yeah. very easy. And in some, I've got another, this is from my teacher in China of Fu Xiao Mai, Bai He, and yeah, Zhao Tang, really good if you want that more, if it's not constraint, but you need to calm the spirit. So this is a combination, and then you have the Gan Cao and Hong Zhao, of course, so Fu Xiao Mai, Gan Cao, Hong Zhao. So it's Gan Mai Dao Zhao Tang, right? 
And then you've got Bai He, which is from the second chapter of the Jingwe Yaolue, which is the Bai He Tong. It talks all about Bai He Tong, which is usually combined with a Sheng Di or a Jirmu. But you've got that. And then you have Ye Zhao Tang as well. And Ye Zhao Tang is a spirit calmer, but it also nourishes blood and it gets into the collaterals as well to open that up. And I'll often combine that with, uh, we have to have the Gansao and the Hongzao. But if you combine that, if you need some heavy sedating, then you can put in Lungu or Muli, or you can, if you want some, uh, if they're really excited, you could put in something like Shodzaren. But I think it's important to remember that with the heavy sedators, if they are depressed, you're just going to make them a little bit more depressed because you're pushing down on that chi. And the same thing with the Swanzaren or the Shodzaren, which is a sour constrictor that'll actually constrict the emotions. So you can think of the emotions as something that have to be expanded or contracted and somewhere in the middle of flexible balance where they can open up or they can close up a little bit more is, is the way they want to go. And if they're too closed, that's a constraint. That's that depression. If they're too open, then it's, then it's too much excitement. So that's when you need to use the heavy sedators or the constrictors. Whereas if they're too constrained, you want to do opening things. So that's why something like Swan Zhao Ren Tang has Swan Zhao Ren, but it also has Chuan Xiong, which mm, opens yes. up. And I might add maybe like with the Mei Gui Hua and the Yujin Lian Chao, I might add in a small dose of Xiang Fu, which is fragrant and opening. Because a small dose will open up the constraint, whereas a big dose of Xiang Fu will... will uh, uh, be more of a chi moving thing blow it open too far <laughs> mm. yeah that's interesting the um that triplet that you mentioned the fuxia mai yeja tang by her i've used that um I, I don't know where i learned that from but i i learned from someone years ago that that was a you know a triplet that you often used mm. and i found mm. it to be really effective but i I am hesitant to use the Fu Xiao Mai nowadays with people. Mm, yes, who so have, many people are going, oh, wheat, wheat. Yeah, well, with people who have gluten sensitivity or people who have celiac mm -hmm. disease. And so I tend not to mm -hmm. use the Fu Xiao Mai. And I kind of feel yeah. like, oh, as long as, they, as long as they don't have that, you're fine. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can still get good results with the Bai He and Ye Jiao Tang. Uh, but if they aren't wheat sensitive, that fushamai is just really, really helpful. Mm. I had, uh, do you use her huan hua a lot? I find that like a really beautiful herb to kind of just kind of, I'm, I'm doing an action here, and of course, neither of you can see me. It's like it just kind of helps that to, it feels like it just lifts some of the heaviness away from the heart. For sure. That is, that's that. Uh, uh, I actually have two he huan trees in my backyard and the flowers are beautiful they flower lushly it's rather hard to harvest them and keep keep the color but it's really a very nice um very nice herb i've always used hohan pea a lot but hohan hua will work really well with that megui hua yujin lian chao triplet mm, yeah that's an interesting some of my favorite herbs yes <laughs> Yeah, Eugene Lian Chao Megui Hua. It's it's not a combo that I would have come up with on my own, but I'm I'm just yeah, kind of I'm processing it. I'm processing it in my mind and going, it actually it kind of works. 
I'm interested mm. to try it. You know, I've got a, yeah. I've got another good uh, combination. It's not a three herb combination, but this comes from another colleague, Richard Rouse. And he said, oh, I found a really good combination for menopause. And as a, you know, and I've tried a lot. It's, it's not easy because menopause is not one single thing. It's, it's lots of different patterns all mixed up. And then you get people who, you know, they go, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't drink much coffee, only three, three cups a day. They come in, they go, I'm getting, I can't sleep. I've got night sweats and my heart is pounding and I feel really anxious. So how much coffee to drink? Oh, not much, not much, three, three or four cups a day. Mm. And so do you ever think maybe coffee might be doing this? Oh, no, I try. I stopped coffee for, I stopped coffee for three whole days and it didn't make any difference. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's like this, you're there this, in my life, Steve. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, this, he, he basically he uses uh, Liu Wei Di Huang Wan, which is not too surprising, with Shigao and Qing Hao. And when you don't know anything else, when when you're at your wits' end with this with these patients, especially the ones who won't give up coffee because the coffee is, in, intensifies that stomach heat, right? And that's where the shurgao comes in. And the ching hao just helps the, the, uh, the cooling, the shu heat cooling aspects of the liu wei di huang wan. So I, I have found that a really good uh, a formula that, I'll, that I've, I've used a lot. So I'm, thanks a lot, Richard, if you're listening. That was very helpful. Okay, so that's really interesting to me because... Um, well, I guess depending on your dosages, but that's really clearing a fair bit of heat from the middle jaw. Yeah, with the shurgao. And shurgao and is one of those things you need to use 30 to 40 grams. Wow. So what's interesting is that there's also a lot of discussion about how a lot of menopause symptoms can be caused by cold in the belly as well. So I'm wondering if you can jump to some of your diagnostic tips as to how you would distinguish when there's cold in the belly causing heat rising and flushing. Well, I, and... Yeah, I don't think about oh. that one too much. That would be interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. There is another pattern. I mean, like I said, there's many, many patterns patterns that lead to the symptoms that people come in with. And, and of course, you've got to tease them out. So when they say, oh, I'm coming in for menopause, they go, okay, how do you feel? Mm. What exactly are you feeling? But there's one that's really common. And this is, they're, they're saying, oh, I'm just so hot. And their hands are pointing at their head. And you say, oh, does your face go really red? Yep. Are you sweating? Oh, I'm sweating so much. Where are you sweating? I'm sweating on the head. It's mainly on the head and they don't sweat much on the body. And what's happening is they're actually holding fluid under the surface of the skin. And that fluid is preventing heat from dissipating. It's, it's like damp in the flesh is preventing the heat from getting out. And they end up like a chimney. So that heat is rushing up to the head. Their face goes red. They sweat profusely on the head because there's no flesh on the head. There's only skin and, and hair, right? And for that sort of... Uh, that sort of patient by using bland earth level herbs bland is an earth flavor damp is a damp is an earth type pathogen <clears throat> using bland herbs that will help to leach out that fluid will allow the heat to dissipate it's just no it might be just normal heat <clears throat> but because it can't get out get out it just runs up to the surface 
of the head and they're in trouble. So using things like uh, fooling, of course, but Tong Cao or, uh, or Hua Shi or Chu Chen Cao, something like all those things that are relatively bland will really make a big difference. Clearing the damp mm. instead of clearing the heat. <clears throat> mm. Yeah. Tell me about this cold in the belly <clears throat> aspect, though. I'm not familiar with that. Well, what do you do for that? Well, um, Claire and I learned really in a similar way to recognize a lot of patterns when there is cold trapped in the belly, kind of forcing the yang to be stuck either side of it and not necessarily to be able to flow through the belly very well. Um, so you get like the idea of a, a warm stream with an iceberg in the middle. Mm -hmm. So for that, normally it would be quite a few long cupping sessions on the navel and then moxa and also finding the source of how the cold gets in there, usually diet, sometimes clothing, lifestyle. Oh, that's really interesting because mm -hmm. that, that links into another uh, good tip, which appeared in an article in one of the early issues of The Lantern. And when I first read it, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that sounds a bit dodgy to me. But this was using with exactly the same type of principle that you're talking about, using Li Zhongwan for mouth ulcers. Mm. Yes. And you think, how does that work? But look, nowadays, Li Zhongwan for mouth ulcers is my go-to treatment. That's the first thing I'll try. And you can, and it, what reminded me was, you talked about the moxa. You can actually test whether it's going to work by doing moxa on Zhongwan. Mm. I don't know the the numbers, I'm afraid, but uh, doing moxa on Zhongwan, if that helps relieve it. Yeah, Ren 12. But uh, the the idea behind it is exactly that, the cold in the stomach forcing out this deficient heat which comes up and causes the mouth ulcer. So, I mean, you know, for years I had tried Huanglian and all that stuff. And, yeah, sometimes it would work, but not as often as I would like. But Li Zhongwan really does the trick. Mm. And so how do you know if it's going to work based on the moxa? What would the moxa do? Well, the moxa would help relieve the pain if they have pain right away. Ah, great. Okay. And, um, yeah, and the... And uh, and so if you don't if you're if you're in two minds about giving the Li Zhongwan, you can try the moxa for a day or two, and they'll come back and say, oh yeah, it felt better. So, mm. um, but I don't worry about that. I just give them the Li Zhongwan, especially if they don't, you know, if they have mouth ulcers and the tongue is a bit pale and the pulse isn't rapid and they just don't look hot. Yeah. And do you give Li Zhongwan as a decoction? Or do you make it up as a um, as a powder or as a no? In this one, I'll, I'll just use pills. Yeah. I'll just use pills. Patent medicine. Yeah, yeah. I use um, powders and pills mainly as adjuncts to decoctions. I like to give a variety of dosage forms to patients. So because the one thing it's they don't get confused as easily. They have the herbs they cook up then they'll have pills or they'll have a powder. I also make up tinctures in my clinic, which is really uh, easy to do and pretty economical and effective in some cases. I've had tinctures that haven't worked, but that's a really good way to go. But um, 
you know, if you're really looking for power, you have to go for the decoction. And it, and it gives you lots of flexibility that you can't get from, from even powders. And when I'm talking about flexibility, I, I also mean powder. We do so much powder at my clinic that uh, it, it doubles the, the range of your medications. Mm. Especially with yeah, the bleeding herbs, you know, like a lot of powder is needed for those um, to get the stop bleeding effects to be enhanced. That's right. Mm. And but they do it often when you buy, say, Dongwei Tan or, uh, you know, Xiao uh, Ji Tan or something like that. It's they've taken it too far. The powder instructions for all of those say it must be blackened, but it must still have the shape. And when you buy it from the wholesalers, you end up with just a bag of ash. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't tell if it's the same herb or not. So that's the sort of thing that we do. And with the heavy bleeding, there's a couple of really good herbs. Even, for example, in, in pregnancy, um, if you're getting some bleeding in pregnancy, something like the ojie, ojie tan, ojie is the lotus nodes. Yeah. And it's quite gentle. It does remove blood stasis, uh, but it's gentle enough to use in pregnancy, especially for this particular type of pregnancy bleeding, which you can tell from the from the pattern that it that it sets out. It's there's a type of bleeding in the anywhere between six to twelve weeks where they they have some spotting or they or they bleed for a day or two and then it spots for a day or two and then it stops and then it comes back and they bleed for a day or two spots for a day or two and then it stops this particular pattern will usually show that there's a tiny leak under the placenta and what's happening is it's building up under the placenta into a little pool which then leaks out in a rush like a little flood then it comes back. Now, this type of bleeding is not dangerous. It's it totally drives the woman crazy. But you can even see it with an ultrasound scan. They'll say, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of a hemorrhage under the placenta. It's not dangerous. And I'll see, you know, in 100 women, you'll get maybe five that have this. It's it's really pretty common. And if you can tell them there is this type of pattern, we, you know, I'm, I'm after 30 years, I can pretty much go, okay, this is what's going on. I'm pretty sure, get a scan and check. I don't think this is dangerous at all. And you can do things. You can do things like very gentle, like Pu Huang, Pu Huang Tan, or Ojia Tan to use for that sort of thing is quite um, uh, quite effective. Wow, what a gem. That's great. Because otherwise, I mean, the, the other... Um, treatments that they're going to be offered by the doctor is, you know, progesterone pesticides. They don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They'll just, they, they really don't have anything for that. That is a great gem. <laughs> mm. yeah, there's a lot of, uh, on, on some of the chat groups, which I don't look at too much, but I, I've had people mention that um, a lot of people are worried about blood stagnation and they're worried about using blood movers in certain cases when it's actually necessary to use them like pregnancy in some cases yeah i it, think that's a really important topic 
it is now of course you've got to be you have to be careful when i was a student in china they said to me do not use dongwei during pregnancy oh no no yeah <laughs> Exactly. Well, right. then that knocks no, out Dongwei Shao, which is like no, no, hold on, awesome. wait, yeah. wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, wait till we get and to the show. <laughs> and then I would see my teachers using it, and I'd say, "Hey, but they told me not to use Dongwei in pregnancy." They said, "Yeah, you shouldn't use it in pregnancy because you don't know what you're doing." <laughs> and that that is often the case. Now I do know what I'm doing, and so especially a woman who who's trying to get pregnant her periods are very clotted and generally when i'm doing fertility i will treat that first that's the number one thing i'll do i'll say to them look the lining of the uterus is so crucial that's like the field you're trying to sow a crop in if you're a good farmer you don't just go out and throw your seed on the ground you actually have to prepare that soil so i say i'm going to take the first three periods we're really going to clear away as much clotting because clotting is like rocks and weeds on that on that topsoil right you have to have enough topsoil but you've got to have topsoil that's also receptive so we're going to clear all that away but sometimes they don't go that far they get pregnant right away just from starting to improve the endometrium and if that's the case say i've been using something like shui tang or maybe i've got sanlang i've got oju in there I have found to my distress that if I go, oh gosh, okay, now they're pregnant, I better not do any blood moving stuff, they will often miscarry. Because the reason they got pregnant is because now they're getting that blood flow through there. So at the very least, I'll do what's no, I mean, uh, Dangwei and Chuanxiong traditionally are considered fetal calmers. So I'll often use small doses of what's called foshosan which is the buddha hand powder which is a little bit of chao chao dangwei and a little bit of chuanxiong in there more if i think it's if it's necessary but um i think it's really crucial that we get a bit more nuanced about when blood stasis is uh, a factor and not be too afraid to remove blood blood stagnation a woman, for example, with natural killer cells, hmm. uh, high natural killer cells, will often respond really well to doing that initial foundation work of clearing away the clotting in the endometrium. And um, one of the signs I know that we've really gotten to the, the, the baseline is when they start passing this black tissuey bits. And that might be the third period. You know, they might say, oh, no, I don't get any clotting. And I'm checking the pulse and looking at the tongue thinking, yeah, well, there's some in there for sure. And uh, maybe the first period, no, I didn't see anything. Second period, yeah, I got a couple more clots. Third period, then they start to get bigger clots coming out and some of that black tissuey stuff. So, hmm. you know, so, I yeah, think it takes a bit of work. It's, it's really interesting that you, you know, you mentioned about the caution around prescribing blood-moving herbs, which, you know, I think is warranted, particularly, you know, when you're still gaining your confidence and gaining your clinical experience because it's a, it's a scary thing to be giving blood-moving herbs to a woman who's pregnant. But I think also, you know, we forget that there's other, there's other things that people, uh, you know, that pregnant women are taking and are being advised to take that also have a blood-moving effect, like fish oil, for example. 
you know, mm-hmm. it does have a blood moving effect. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, fish oil is really great for pregnancy. You know, there's obstetricians and midwives are telling all their pregnant patients to take it. You know, naturopaths, even some Chinese medicine practitioners are saying, yeah, take fish oil, but we're not going to give you these, you know, these Chinese herbs because they're, you know, they move blood. And I think it's important to realise that, you know, it's it's not it's not like you're giving these blood-busting formulas that are going to cause, you know, to cause an abortion. Like we're giving a therapy, you know, like a targeted, precise formula with it has some blood moving herbs in it but it's not necessarily the case that the entire intention of the of the formula is solely to move blood you know we're also calming the fit calming the fetus and addressing the underlying patterns that are going on for the woman at the same time yeah that's right it's just it's a matter of building up your experience it takes it does take years but i mean chinese medicine is incredibly fun as you're gaining that experience, you're never going to learn it all. So, you know, this lifetime anyway, you've got a lot, you've got, you've got plenty of fun to go ahead with, be a detective, learn all the things, learn your skills. I mean, we're going to be called upon to do, as, as antibiotics start to lose their effects, we're going to be called upon to do lots of things that we, that Chinese doctors used to be called upon to do, we have to make sure we haven't lost those skills. You know, when do you, when do you use sweating? When do you use uh, uh, vomiting? When, when do you cause purging? When, when can you use all these techniques that the body itself uses to try to push out these pathogenic factors? When do you move? When do you move blood? We're going to have to be uh, more. Uh, resilient, I think, and 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 take our medicine seriously in learning how to uh, benefit our patients. It's such a strong tradition, and it's so flexible and so broad. There's so many ways to do it that uh, I just think we we need to give it give it the credit. And luckily, here in Australia, you know, we're going to be getting support because China is growing in power. And you know about this free trade agreement that we've got, right? Mm. Yeah. With uh, with China, in which they specifically mention developing Chinese medicine here. Oh, really? So that's great. Yes. Yeah. Very specific. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not only uh, research, but but uh, uh, regulations and all that needs to be. The Chinese need to be in line with that. So yeah. So it's it's good. We've got a lot of support that say our poor brothers and sisters in in the UK don't have, for example, mm. they're really doing it tough at the moment. But we ha- we have everything going for us. So that is great. There'll be a Chinese medicine hospital where the homeopathic hospital used to be a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Someday soon, I'll yep. come back and visit. It sounds great. Well, they, yeah, they, they have them in they have them in. Germany already so yeah yeah and Steve you were talking earlier about the herbs that you use and how most of them are raw and um, how there's benefits to that and I also wanted to mention that there's also for me when working with raw herbs there's just something about them that's a lot more magical 
Oh, for sure. And, and patients like it too, you know. Right. And so you're you're getting them into this relationship with the the raw herbs. And uh, Claire was telling me that you don't really do acupuncture anymore either. So I was wondering if you had any tips while well, we're doing our tips sessions about how you keep people compliant with your raw herb treatments. Um, and yeah. especially I just wanted to mention, you know, you were talking about clearing the clots and how the period could actually get worse for three or four cycles before it starts to get better. And also maybe if you have any tips around compliance and sticking with the program with that kind of a treatment pathway as well. Yep. I probably do 50 or 60 acupuncture treatments a year, so I'm not totally out of it. But um, but yeah, much more on the herb level. And because the practice is mainly word of mouth, so we set it up right from the very beginning when uh, patients tell another patient, they say, oh, you should, should go to that clinic. They'll, they'll go, but remember, the herbs don't taste too good. And then when they call up, the, the secretary will say, now, have you heard about the herbs? And they'll go, what, what? Oh, they don't taste very good. And then as they sit down and go, okay, I'm Steve. You know, how'd you hear about me? Oh, that's nice. Did they tell you about the herbs? And by this time, they're freaking out, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Go, well, how, hey, how you're just full disclosure up front. More than that, it's reverse <laughs> psychology, right? So you're going, they go, how bad can it be? We go, oh, oh man, what's the worst thing you ever had in your whole life? <laughs> so they get the herbs home. And I say, do you think that's going to be a problem? And because it's word of mouth, so most of them, it's not a problem at all. But by the time they get home, no matter how bad it is, it can never match what in their imagination they've already done. So they go, they come back and they go, oh, that's fine. Yeah, so I say to them, oh, yeah, I look at them and I say, yeah, I think you're tough. You know, so you give them that advance sort of thing. In terms of around the, uh, the period, the main thing when you're trying to move clots and say they have a lot of clots and you're trying to move the clots, it's really crucial that you warn them in advance. Now, you may get more clotting yeah. with the herbs. Do not panic. Just tell me about it next time. Because what the worst thing is, say they're coming to you for heavy periods and you give them emutsal, which, by the way, another good tip, emutsal, 15 to 15 grams, even 30 grams by itself. Emutsal is fantastic for causing that uterine contraction that clears away clotting really important in that sort of situation but it's important that they do not stop because women who will take you know they'll start and then they start to pass a, a big clot or two if they stop taking herbs right at that point the clot gets stuck halfway through mm. and they just continue bleeding heavier and heavier so that's the worst thing what I will do is usually give them some Tenchi tablets so that they've got something they can they can do at home uh, if they're getting heavy bleeding. I'll give them some Tenchi tablets. And I'll usually use, say, three tabs morning and night on the heavy days. Or I might just say, look, you can have these here. If you start to get some heavy bleeding and you're worried, take three tabs. So that gives them something to do. Or if they call you up and they say, I'm getting this heavy bleeding, what can I do? Say, well, you've got your Tenchi tablets there. You can take those then. But, of course, they, you know, always encourage them to ring you if they're worried. And I'm sure they will. I like Does that the, answer that question? <laughs> I, like, I like the way that you set up that, you know, the herbs are like the worst possible thing 
you know, and then imagine if you send them home with something tasty like, you know, guapi tongue or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or bargain tongue and they come back and they, you know. But I guess, you know, I've had patients that think that bargain tongue is like the most hideous tasting formula on the face of this planet right. and I've given other people yin chow san and they say to me well that wasn't too bad well you know what they need uh, it, what's really funny is if they need it yeah. it doesn't taste bad so I might be using something like uh huang lian huang bai huang qin and I'll, I'll often say to the patient you know when you get home this is going to taste really bitter but you're going to like it and they do because they need it. Yeah, yeah. When they, when they no longer need it, that's when it starts tasting really bad. And that's a good indication for you if you're giving a script and they've been going, yeah, I really like this script. And then suddenly it just doesn't taste right. That's often an indication that that script's done its dash and, and you need to change it to something else. Need a new formula. Yeah. I've had so many different methods of dealing with that with patients. You know, what will the herbs taste like? But I've never actually heard anyone with your method. So oh, this is okay. this is great. You get to share that tip far and wide now. Yeah. I'm going to try that. I think that sounds great. You really have to play it up, though. You can't do it I half do halfway. Yep. <laughs> um, I can do that. <laughs> You know, and that, but that's one of the biggest um, barriers that practitioners will, you know, will say, well, I don't use raw herbs because my patients won't take them. Um, and that's certainly... Often that's an attitude. Yeah, I haven't support. found that to be the case. You know, no. I've, I've been using raw herbs more and more. And in fact, we got rid of our granule dispensary at the end of last year. Um, and we just outsource now if we're going to be giving a granule formula but mm -hmm. you know we've been like particularly in the last four years or so we've been making up um we've been making up wands if that's the way that the formula was originally intended so nice. we make we make mm -hmm. um we actually don't even make Liu Wei Di Huang Wan we make a Gui Xia Di Huang Wan because we do a lot of fertility mm -hmm. um yep. your Gui Wan Tian Wan Bu Xin Dan obviously without the Ju Sha but that like it's such a an amazing formula when it's as a one like it's it's so potent it's so different than having it as a as a cook-up but um yeah i'm finding that patients are patients are up for it you, you just have to frame it right and you have to feel okay about it within yourself as a practitioner well i think you know as students the a lot of the powder companies came in and talked to the students and and sort of brainwashed them and said look oh you know patients are never your western patients are never going to take raw herbs you should buy our powders and it just isn't it isn't true but get you you get your own patients to assist you with that because if if they are taking them and they say look you know yep they they taste terrible but i'm you know i feel good on them Patients are really compliant, uh, not just compliant, they're enthusiastic. I get some patients coming saying, I came here because I want to take the raw herbs. Every place else I go, I only get powders. Hmm. I have had a couple of patients do that before, actually. They've yeah. come and someone has come through a family friend where they called me the witch and came in and said I need a brew from the witch I want to brew something like what my friend was brewing the other day <laughs> and they like it that's it right they great. like yeah. it yeah. but I think you know this that therapeutic value in 
you know, like filling your whole house with the smell of, you know, all of the aromatics that steam off, it kind of treats the rest of the family as well. And then, you know, that whole experience of drinking as well, you get, you know, that you don't get the same effect when you're having a pill that, you know, the taste buds are immediately activated and getting those processes happening as soon as it hits their mouth. And often they'll say, you know, I never forget to take my herbs, but I'll often forget to take my pills. Yeah. Because they've got to boil them up. Yeah. Do you, how do you, um, because I know that there's different ways that people use with raw herb decoctions and how they instruct patients to to cook them up. What's the standard way that you um, instruct your patients to cook up their herbs and dose and dose the herbs? It, well, it, it varies a lot because of the place in the body that I'm treating. Because I do a lot of gynecology, it's usually a 30 to 40 minute boil. Yeah. I have them boil them three times. Um, and But sometimes, you know, if you're treating, say, hay fever or sinus stuff or eye problems or ear problems, I'll do quite the opposite. I'll, I'll maybe do a, 15 to t a 10 to 15 minute boil very light doses. This is from Ye Tian Shu, who, who often use the very light. You know, the old phrase that Qing Ke Chu Shu, which is light can expel excess. That's that's really from his, his approach. And uh, to reach the upper body, you need to use light doses and very short boils. So nowadays, mm -hmm. when I'm doing cold and flu things, I'll only use very, very short boils and light doses because otherwise you're it's like fishing, you know, like uh, if you are if you've got your hook and your bait at the wrong place, there's no fish there. You're not actually reaching the spot that you need to reach with gynecology. It's a different story. You're trying to get to the lower jaw. You have to do that longer, longer boil that allows it to get quite deep. And then once they have that um, the decoction, do you dose that over two days or one day per bag, or how how do you do that? In the very f when they first come in, I'll have them take herbs almost every day. Yeah. Then, either the second or the third month, I will usually drop that back to one bag a week. I use it as a bit of a reward, you know. As soon as patients, I, I often tell students when you're starting you should try to see patients every week. But as soon as they start to improve, say, oh, you know, you're getting better. Now I'll see you in two weeks. You go, oh, that's good, I'm getting better. Same thing with the herbs. As they start to get a little bit better, I'll say, okay, I want you to do one bag a week. Pick a good day of the week, like say Sunday, cook up the bag, take it till it runs out, which might be Wednesday or Thursday. And then I'll give them a pill or a tincture to take up to the next Sunday. So that way they get a few days off cooking up it never becomes you know even people can keep that up for years if they have to one bag a week is not really onerous and um and then i say look if we have you know if we need to get stronger we can do them every day again but uh staying flexible is the best way mm. yeah so a bag a day in the initial stages to start yeah. well however long a bag will last because they cook it three times Often one bag, especially with a pretty big formula, can often last three, two and a half for three days. Mm, yeah, so just a cup each time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I've had, um, you know, many different stories that patients come in with, with the uh, previous instructions that they've had with, uh, with herbal formulas and how they've cooked them up. So it's, I'm always interested to hear what other people are doing. Well, if, they get, if they're nervous about it, I just say, look, it, it's not really crucial if you did it exactly this amount of time or exactly that amount of time. You just want to get the good stuff from the herbs into you. Yeah. So, but it was interesting you talked about making wine because we've got an article in the next Lantern coming up, which was uh, translated by the students at the Seattle Institute of Oriental Medicine. They're looking at a Jingwe Yalue formula called... Um, uh, oh, what's it called? Xia Yutang. Mm. But basically it has Da Huang, it's got Tao Ren, and it's got Zhe uh, Chong or Tu Bie Chong. And it's made up as a pill, but then you take that pill and you decoct it in wine. Oh, wow. So is it, it's it. a bit so like Ditang one's a bit like that. But it's... Yeah, that's right. So there's so many different ways to apply it we've got so many centuries of techniques that that we can learn from it's just an amazing medicine mm. every time we gave patients any of the one formulas from empirical health that had the traditional instructions to take it with wine the <laughs> patients were usually quite pleased <laughs> but we we would actually cross it out and cover it up with our own new label, which didn't allow for such things. Oh, <laughs> well, we figured we figured that the the modern application of take this with wine is probably not what they meant. Yeah, of course they meant rice wine. So. Yeah, <laughs> not a gigantic, you know, double glass full of Shiraz. <laughs> Yeah, I love my Chinese herbs, and I'm fixed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was. I will share. Um, speaking of the ones and the Dung one, I think we mentioned it in the um, in the episode on fibroids, but um, we did. It was a very. It's a very full on formula. Um, the the one that Simon Feeney's Empirical Health use and um it, yeah very strong and very effective and uh, for clearing out um that blood stasis it's uh, a very um for anyone who's de you know dealing with dealing with gynecology definitely have a look at that formula it's not for the faint-hearted but it's very effective at what it does one big giant dose sounds good i will have a look yeah, you. I think you would really like. Uh, I think you'd really like what Simon's doing. Um, his Dungwei Shao San is amazing. Um, mm. We found it to be like orders of magnitude more effective than what we were doing with, um, even with a even with a raw decoction. So no, that's great, and that sort of innovation is what we want to encourage here as well. Oh, and we're so lucky. We've got him right here in Australia. He's um, hi Simon, if you're listening. Yeah, hi. So what other, have you got more tips that you are going to share with us today, Steve? Oh, I can keep on going forever. <laughs> I just uh, remembered earlier there was a tip challenge and I have to yeah. say that I've had a lot longer to think about my tips than you two, so I've got more than okay, two. Okay, go ahead. You tell us. Tell I, can, us. I, can, 
run through this. Uh, so, well, one of my big tips, which has been strengthened through the process of interviewing lots of amazing practitioners with the podcast, is to take the pulse before talking. Oh, yeah. Before anything, just take the pulse before talking, because um, my next tip is connected, and that is to really join the dots in the history. There's so many practitioners that miss out on a lot of information because of one key question yeah. that can be asked, yeah. and that is, you know, when someone comes in and says, I have this problem and it started three years ago, or it started, I've had it since I was 15 or whatever, is to ask the question, what was happening in your life? Yeah. during the year or two before this problem happened in your body or in your mind or wherever it is. Um, mm. Another tip is I think a lot of acupuncturists underuse palpation and touching the channels. Mm -hmm. You guys were giving pretty specific tips for specific things as well, which got me thinking. So as I have hay fever at the moment, um, I have needles hanging out of my bladder too because that's... <laughs> It's, I call it the wasabi effect for hay fever. <laughs> it's so good and it's so much easier, especially if you're needling yourself, than um, large intestine 20. But bladder 2 really just clears up sneezing straight oh, away. So good. if you yeah. have to hit record your podcast and you're sneezing a lot, that's my tip. Bladder 2. I use bladder yeah. 2 a lot. I thread, it I thread it down to bladder 1 mm. and I'll do that for sinusitis. And I'll leave it in for about 40 minutes. And that's usually enough time for the pressure to unpop from the sinuses. It will yeah. clear oh, everything. Great. I usually tell people it's like imagine if you could snort wasabi, but you don't have to. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is what bladder two can do. But, yeah, you do need to thread it down towards bladder one yeah. and really get that twang. Yeah. Mm. I put together little uh, bags of what I call three fragrant herbs, which is Hoxiang, Bohe, and uh, and uh, Baijiu. And I just, what I do is have them, and they can cook that in metal, they can put it in a little pot. I just have them bring it to a boil and inhale the fragrance. And I say to them, this will get, you know, this is for sinusitis. This will get back into all the crevices of the sinuses and allow them to, uh, allow them to drain so this is really helpful and i said when you know when it, there's no long when it's not fragrant anymore just throw it out but do that three or four times a day just bring it to a boil inhale that fragrance for you know 15 seconds or 30 seconds or something clear it out and using that as, as an adjunct to some of the other uh, herbal treatments whether it's pills or or decoctions or anything can be quite helpful in a decoction for sinusitis, I'll use, again, Ye Chien Shi's has a couple of really good tricks. One is using He Ye. He Ye is quite good for shrinking the mucous membranes in the sinuses. But he'll also put in, uh, like, um, Hua Shi. Hua Shi helps the mucous membranes move smoothly against each other so they don't get stuck. That's another thing that's quite good. And he will use some things that cool the liver and help liver chi. Like all of his sinus formulas almost always have xiang fu in them or shan jirzi. So cooling the liver, moving liver chi to move those things. And we think, well, what's that got to do with the sinus? But if you look at the five element overcoming aspect, liver and lungs should balance each other. And mm. if lungs aren't working well, helping the liver to uh, do its job, helps open up the lungs. 
so they're really you know it looks simple but they're really quite quite um uh sophisticated mm. An mm. another really sophisticated tiny formula comes from uh not some Sunya, but um oh he's one of my favorite guys i'll remember him in a second but it's a Su Shiliang Fang is a book of this guy, Su Dong Po, and another man called, um, can't remember his name either. But anyway, this is about a thousand years ago, and I've used it a lot for dysentery and, and diarrhea, infectious diarrhea, when you've got nothing else. And it is simply equal amounts of tea and ginger, boiled for 10 minutes and then sipped. So if you are, it doesn't tea. matter, whatever you can, whatever you can get. Black tea is probably a bit better because it's got a bit more tannin. But mm. the, um, but if you are spewing and, and pooing like crazy, you know, you've got diarrhea, you're vomiting, sipping that will take the edge off the whole thing. It won't <laughs> totally cure it, but it'll take the edge off. I've used it many times in China. And when you look at the formula, it's actually really sophisticated. You've got the cooling, uh, the cooling uh, bitter aspect of the tea with the tannins on the bowel, and you've got the pungent dispersing aspect of the ginger on the stomach. And as a combination, you've got yin and yang, you've got warming and cooling, you've got dispersing and, and astringing. It's really amazing for something that you can just get any place as a simple formula that you don't even have to carry with you. That's fantastic. I love how you call them tiny formulas and you, you've got all these great triangle trilogy formulas mm. and now the the combo of tea and ginger for spewing and pooing. Yep. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> so if you could put this on a modern multimedia platform, you might need to create a, a Chinese herbal tiny formulas app or something. Ooh. That would be the modern day version of um yeah of you getting your information out is a is an app that's got all of these little trilogy formulas your tiny formulas i think i'll have to talk to the next generation yeah <laughs> gonna take off like my son a steve clavy <laughs> app would be, would be a total hit in the itunes store i wouldn't call it that i'd call it something else <laughs> Um, we're going to have to wrap it up because I've got a patient waiting downstairs. Great, Claire. Great fee. This has been fantastic. Had a really good time talking to you both. We would love Thank to you. have you back later, later sometime when you have um, another mini hiatus in your in your book writing. Maybe just before a Ghani book appears, perhaps. <laughs> yes. We can certainly talk about it next time. Well, there's not much to discuss at the moment but maybe later there will be. Great. Well, good luck with the writing all of that. Thanks very much. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's really been a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for yet again tuning in for another great episode of Heavenly Chi. We had a great time and we learned a lot and we hope that you did too. We'd love to hear what your favorite uh, piece of info from this podcast was or perhaps you have your own special tiny formulas that you'd like to share with the other listeners you can do that on our facebook page bye everybody